Hello and welcome to Speak the Words, a Cosmere podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Mango. And this is a podcast where we are slowly but surely going through the story of the Stormlight Archive with a couple other Cosmere things along the way. Before we get into the episode, I just want to say that we're on Twitter at SpeakStormlight. And you guys can also email us at speakthewordsasp at gmail.com. Mango, last time was the interludes. What do you, what happened in the interludes? Uh, uh, do you remember at least the characters that we saw? I don't remember their names. All right, well, so the first one was Eshenai. Ah, yeah. Um, she had two, and I, I yes. don't really remember the, like, the separation between them. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They were trying to figure out a new type of, uh, form, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, a storm form. Yes. And, uh, Eshnai's sister Mm -hmm. wanted to be the one to try it out first because she was the one who discovered it. Mm -hmm. But then Eshnai was like, no, I'm the strongest. I should do it. Yeah. You're more important because you know how all this stuff works. And then her sister got mad because, oh, you always have to be the first to do everything. Yeah. And, like, that's what Eshnai says to Venli, but there's also a little bit of... And this is something that the rest of the elders or the council or whatever say is like Venley's ambition with this progress uh, with this project is a little frightening to them. They think she's a little too close to it. And if so, if it doesn't work, she would try and push it and try to yeah. make it work, even if it was da- too dangerous. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we also learned a ton about the pars- the uh, the listeners. Uh, I can say listeners again. In general, uh, we also learned that in terms of character stuff. First of all, I don't know if you picked up on this, and I realized I never made it clear, but um, Eshenai's mother, Eshenai and Venli is her sister. Eshenai and Venli's mother, she has, like, early onset dementia. Like, she's she's starting to... Uh, she doesn't remember stuff anymore. And she gets confused about when she is, um, who she's talking to. Yeah, she and thought we, Eshenai was her sister, I think. Yeah, at one, one point, point she thought Eshenai was Venli. Um and we also learned that Eshenai was the one of the first people to meet the humans. Oh yeah, she she went off on her own, or she was like leading people or whatever mm-hmm. in the forest and discovered humans, and then was the one who like kind of brought them together. And then, mm-hmm. um, so she kind of blames herself for all of the stuff that happened to her people because she was the one who found the humans. Yeah, and Eshenai also says that she was one of the people um, who voted to kill Gavilar. Because it might, he was uh, supposedly wanting to do something that might bring their gods back. Mm -hmm. And they do not want their gods back. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason. Well, the reason being they were forced into certain forms by the gods and kind of used as tools and they did that understandably so they don't want that uh, eshenai says that she wasn't like one of the leaders then but that she had been allowed to vote for some reason among them uh something about her circumstances made her input valuable then and then um i just wanted to say we saw those leaders in yasna's prologue in this book they're the ones that go up to Yasna after Gavilar is done. And they're like, hey, real sorry about what happened, but like we kind of had to. And Yasna's like, you guys are all going to fucking die. You know that, right? 
<laughs> and they're like, yeah. Yeah. So everybody but Eshenai who made that decision was killed by the Alethi. Mm-hmm. Maybe they didn't know that she was part of it or something. Yeah, Eshenai wasn't one of the elders. She was like, but she was allowed to make the decision despite that. So she was not with the group of elders when they were killed. The other, the other important character in the uh, interludes was Risen. We saw Risen again. Oh yeah. Uh, she was told to do a specific trade for a um corpse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and. The whoever king, I guess, didn't want to do the trade, and so Risen went down to some sort of creature or whatever. I, in my head, it's like when in Avatar The Last Airbender, when Aang is talking to the lion turtle. So she goes and talks to this creature, and then something happens to her, and her legs get paralyzed from like falling. Mm-hmm. And the king was impressed or i don't know if it was the king but they imply that it's the turtle great shell itself yeah um which who knows how that actually works because you know it's like an animal (laughs) (laughs) but they were granted a a live version of the creature that they were wanting instead of just the body yeah this is when the um how to train your dragon subplot begins so we'll just what? we'll check we'll check in on that periodically across these books. What? Um the other character in the interludes uh was Yim. Yim was talking to this kid about how they're both Iriali and the Iriali are like they believe that they are that they were once one and then they were all split into many and that each experience of the many pleases the one and one day they will become the one again and that they're traveling from di- across different lands to gain different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, That's an interesting take on existence. Yeah. And then one of the heralds shows up yeah. and was like, <laughs> you committed a crime, what, 30, 40 years ago. Time yeah. to die. Uh-huh. Even though you've lived the rest of your life trying to repent for it and be a good person. Too bad. Time to die. Like, yeah. wh- <laughs> Okay. Pretty funny. Uh, ha, ha. Not ha. really funny at all in any way, shape, or form. Nope. This week, we're starting part two, Wind's Approach. The uh, Like I said last time, the POVs are Shallan, Kaladin, Adolin, and Sadius. So just just all of the men. Yeah. Just, yeah. just men. Just men. I mean, <sighs> quite frequently, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um. Chapter 13, The Day's Masterpiece. This has Shallan's new symbol, which, if you remember, is just like a bunch of patterns. The epigraph reads, Warform is worn for battle and reign, claimed by the gods, given to kill. Unknown, unseen, but vital to gain, it comes to those with the will. From the listener's song of listing, 15th stanza. So this is one of those songs that uh, they were talking about um, in the in the Eshenai chapters. Mm. Shallan travels towards the Shattered Plains on one of Tavlakiv's wagons. She sits next to Bluth, one of the stoic mercenaries hired by Tavlakiv, who drives the wagon. She distracts herself by studying their surroundings. Uh, the flora of the southern frostlands is completely unfamiliar to her. When they stop at midday for a meal, Shallan asks Tavlakiv to set up one of the empty slave wagons as a carriage for her. 
Wooden sides, typically used as protection for the slaves during high storms, are hooked onto the sides of the cage to provide her some privacy. She also gets the cage's key from Tavlakov, though he seems hesitant to give it to her, because that would be... That would be really bad if he had the key to the cage that she was in. <laughs> she crawls across the newly enclosed wagon. Her feet are injured, and standing on them is painful enough to make pain spread appear, and opens the lid to Yasna's trunk. These have to reach the shattered plains, she said. Pattern vibrated with a confused sound, a questioning pitch that implied curiosity. Someone needs to continue Yasna's work. Eurythiru must be found, and the Alethi must be convinced that the return of the Voidbringers is imminent. You, hmm, continue? Pattern asked. Yes, that night before the sinking, when I saw Yasna with her guard down. I know what I must do. Pattern hummed again, sounding confused. It's hard to explain. It's a human thing. Excellent, Pattern said, eager. She raised an eyebrow toward him. He'd quickly come a long way from spending hours spinning in the center of a room or climbing up and down walls. Before I saw Yasna's expression that night, before I talked to her through her fatigue and got a sense of just how worried she was, I had fallen into a trap. The trap of a scholar. Despite my initial horror at what Yasna had described about the Parshman, I had come to see it all as an intellectual puzzle. Yasna was so outwardly dispassionate that I assumed she did the same. Our danger isn't just theoretical, Pattern. It is real and terrible. Yes, Pattern said, voice sounding grave. You know something about the danger? The Parshman? The Voidbringers? Perhaps she was reading too much into his tones. He wasn't human and often spoke with strange inflections. My return, Pattern said. Because of this. What? Why haven't you said anything? Say, speaking, thinking, all hard, getting better. You came to me because of the Voidbringers. Yes. Patterns. We. Us. Worry. One was sent. Me. Why to me? Because of lies. She shook her head. I don't understand. He buzzed in dissatisfaction. You. Your family. You watched me with my family that long ago? Shalon. Remember. Again, those memories. This time, not a garden seat, but a sterile white room. Her father's lullaby, blood on the floor. No. I know little of humans, Pattern said. They break. Their minds break. You did not break. Only cracked. It is the lies that save you. The lies that drew me. Do you have a name? I've called you Pattern, but it's more of a description. Name is numbers. Many numbers. Hard to say. Pattern. Pattern is fine. As long as you don't start calling me erratic as a contrast, Shalon said. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, she asked. I am thinking. Considering the lie. The joke? Yes. Please don't think too hard. It wasn't a particularly good joke. If you want to ponder a real one, consider that stopping the return of the Voidbringers might depend on me, of all people. Hmm. She sorted through the contents of the trunk. This was the only one of, ya this was only one of Yasna's trunks. But Shalon recognized it as the one the woman kept in her own cabin. The one the assassins had taken. It contained Yasna's notes, books, and books full of them. The trunk contained pr few primary sources, but that didn't matter, as Yasna had meticulously transcribed all relevant passages. As Shalon set aside the last book, she noticed something on the bottom of the trunk, a loose piece of paper. She picked it up, curious, then nearly dropped it in surprise. It was a picture of Yasna, drawn by Shalon herself. Shalon had given it to the woman after being accepted as her ward. She'd assumed Yasna had thrown it away. The woman had little fondness for visual arts, which she'd considered a, fr a frivolity. Instead, she'd kept it here with her most precious things. No, Shalon didn't want to think about that, didn't want to face it. 
Hmm, Pattern said. You cannot keep all lies, only the most important. Shalon reached up and found tears in her eyes, for Yasna. She'd been avoiding the grief, had stuffed it into a little box and set it away. Who are they? Shalon asked. The ones who did this, who killed her and took my art from me. Why would they do such horrible things? I do not know. But you are certain that Yasna was right? The Voidbringers are going to return? Yes. Spren. Spren of him. They come. These people. They killed Yasna. They were probably of the same group as Cobsol and as of, of my father. Why would they kill the person closest to understanding how and why the Voidbringers are coming back? I... he faltered. I shouldn't have asked. I already know the answer, and it is a very human one. These people seek to control the knowledge so that they can profit from it. Profit from the apocalypse itself. We're going to see that doesn't happen. She lowered the sketch of Yasna, settling, setting it between the pages of a book to keep it safe. And that is the end of that chapter. Hmm. I have an image for you. It is a, it's called the Scroll of Stances. And at the bottom, it says, excerpt from a longer scroll. The bottom half was eaten by an axe hound as I fled the place where I'd stolen this. Um, and it's not signed by Nas, but that's definitely Nas. Yeah, these are uh, different shard blade. Uh, you can get to see the shard plate and blade kind of uh, fighting stances. This looks like old medieval like yeah. paintings. I love the artwork, dude. I love the artwork in these books so much. I think it's so cool. Um, well, it looks like an anime at ified version of a medieval painting. Yeah. It's just, I feel like it adds a whole nother touch to the world to have these like in universes, in, in universe pieces in the book. It makes it feel even more to me. The next chapter is titled, it's uh, chapter 14, it's titled Iron Stance, and it has Adolin's symbol, which I just dropped into chat, which is just Adolin standing, like, in shard plate. That literally just looks like the guy in the picture. Yeah, it's somebody in shard plate with a shard blade. I don't know that it's specifically Adolin. I mean, it probably is, if it's his symbol. It's been a while, Adolin said, kneeling and holding his shard blade before him. He was alone, just him and the sword. I remember when I won you, Adolin whispered. Nobody took me seriously then either. The fop with the nice clothing. Tinelar thought to duel me just to embarrass my father. Instead, I got his blade. Adolin had never named his shard blade. Some did, some didn't. He'd never thought it appropriate. Not because he didn't think the blade deserved a name, but because he figured he didn't know the right one. This weapon had belonged to one of the Knights Radiant, long ago. That man had named the weapon, undoubtedly. To call it something else seemed presumptuous. Adolin had felt that way even before he'd started thinking of the Radiance in a good light as his father did. This blade would continue after Adolin died. He didn't own it. He was borrowing it for a time. A real duel, Adolin whispered to the blade, for real stakes. Finally. No more tiptoeing around it, no more limiting myself. The shard blade didn't respond, but Adolin seemed that it listened but Adolin imagined that it listened to him. You couldn't use a weapon like this, a weapon that seemed like an extension of the soul itself, and not feel at times that it was alive. I speak so confidently to everyone else, Adolin said, since I know they rely on me. But if I lose today, that's it. No more duels and a severe knot in father's grand plan. He could hear people outside, stomping feet, a buzz of chatter, scraping on the stone. They'd come. Come to see Adolin win or be humiliated. This might be our last fight together, Adolin said softly. I appreciate what you've done for me. I know you'd do it for anyone who held you, but I still appreciate it. I... I want you to know. I believe in father. 
I believe he's right that the things he sees are real, that the world needs a united Alethkar. Fights like this one are my way to make it happen. He leaves the preparation room and walks to a staging room where Renarin and Navani are waiting to equip his shard plate. Navani burns a prayer glyph for safety and glory. Adolin inquires about Yasna, and Navani replies her daughter has likely gone missing due to a change of plans and would reappear at a later time. Uh. <sighs> you ate chicken? Renarin asked. For breakfast? And you talked to the sword? Had an entire conversation. Mother's chain in your pocket? Checked three times. Navani folded her arms. You still hold to those foolish superstitions? Both brothers looked at her sharply. They're not superstitions, Adolin said at the same time Renarin said. It's just good luck, aunt. She rolled her eyes. I haven't done a formal duel in a long time, Adolin said. I don't want anything to go wrong. Foolishness. Trust in the Almighty and the Herald, not whether or not you had the right meal before you duel. Storms. Next thing I know, you'll be believing in the passions. Adolin shared a look with Renarin. His little traditions probably didn't help him win, but, well, why risk it? Every duelist had his own quirks. His hadn't let him down yet. Our guards aren't happy about this, Renarin said. They keep talking about how hard it's going to be to protect you when someone else is swinging a shard blade at you. Adolin grinned, knowing full well Renarin couldn't see the expression. I'm so sad to be denying them the chance to babysit me. Why do you enjoy tormenting them? I don't like minders. You've had guards before, on the battlefield. It felt different to be followed about everywhere he went. There's more. Don't lie to me, brother. I know you too well. Adolin inspected his brother, whose eyes were so earnest behind his spectacles. The boy was too solemn all the time. I don't like their captain, Adolin admitted. Why? He saved father's life. He just bothers me, Adolin. Adolin shrugged. There's something about him that is off, Renarin. That makes me suspicious. I think you don't like that he ordered you around, on the battlefield. I barely even remember that, Adolin said. Well, all right then. Off with you. And brother? Yes? Try not to lose. Adolin stepped out into the arena. He saw his father and the king watching from the stands. Sadius hadn't come, which was good as his presence would have distracted Adolin. His opponent was Salinor, one of High Prince Thanadol's shardbearers. He only had a blade, but he had, but had borrowed a set of plate from the king for this. In order to get Salinor to agree, Adolin had been forced to bet both his plate and blade against just Salinor's blade. The crowd was full of light eyes. This was the first duel for shards in over a year. Summon blades, Bright Lady Istow, the high judge, ordered. Adolin thrust his hand to the side, and ten heartbeats later, the blade fell into his hand, a little faster than Salinor's, which meant that Adolin's heart was beating faster. They talk a bit about stances here, wind stance, which they describe as flowing, sweeping, and majestic, and uh, flame stance, which is quick and flexible. Salinor drops into flame stance. Adolin is best with wind stance, but they were at war. It wasn't time for a show, it was time for a beating. Adolin fell into iron stance as Salinor approached, batted away the other man's swing, and brought his shard blade down on the man's helmet twice. Adolin felt the thrill of battle as he shoved aside a blow from Salinor, crashed his blade into the man's breastplate, then kicked the man to the ground. Salinor dropped his blade and it vanished to mist. Adolin kicked the man in the helmet and it shattered, exposing the other man's panicked face. Adolin started kicking the man's breastplate until it too shattered. Stop! Stop! Adolin halted, lowering his foot beside Salinor's head, looking up at the high judge. The woman stood in her box, face red, voice furious. Adolin Colin, she shouted. This is a duel, not a wrestling match. Did I break any rules? He shouted back. Silence. It struck him, through the rush in his ears, that the entire crowd had gone quiet. He could barely hear their- he could hear their breathing. Did I break any rules? This is not how a duel, so I win, Adolin said. The woman sputtered. This duel was to three broken pieces of plate. You broke only two. 
Aiden looked down at the dazed Salinor. Then he reached down, ripped off the man's pauldron, and smashed it between two fists. Done. Stunned silence. Adolin knelt beside his opponent. Your blade? Salinor tried to get to his feet, and Adolin slammed him back down to the ground. You've lost, Adolin growled. You cheated, Salinor sputtered. How? I don't know how. It's just... It's not supposed to... He trailed off as Adolin carefully placed a gauntleted hand against his neck. Salinor's eyes widened. You wouldn't. Fearspren crawled out of the sand around him. My prize, Adolin said, suddenly feeling drained. The throw faded from him. Storms. He'd never before felt like this in a duel. <gasps> Salinor's blade appeared in his hand. Judgment, the high judge says, sounding reluctant, goes to Adolin Colin, the victor. Salinor Eved forfeits his shard. Salinor let the blade slip from his fingers. Adolin took it and knelt beside Salinor, holding the weapon with pommel toward the man. Break the bond. Salinor hesitated, then touched the ruby at the weapon's pommel. The gemstone flashed with light. The bond had been broken. Adolin stood, ripped the ruby free, and then crushed it. He returned to the staging room where Renarin waited. That, his young brother said, was incredible. It has to be the shortest shard bout on record. You were amazing, Adolin. I... thanks. He handed Salinor's shard blade toward Renarin. A present. Adolin, are you sure? I mean, I'm not exactly the best with the plate I already have. Might as well have the full set, Adolin said. Take it. Renarin seemed hesitant. Take it, Adolin said again. Reluctantly, Renarin did so. He grimaced as he took it. Navani stepped into the room, having come down from the seats above. What you did, she noted, would not have worked on a more skillful opponent. I know. It was wise, then. You mask your true skill. People can assume this was won by trickery. Pit fighting instead of proper dueling. They might continue to underestimate you. I can work with this to get you more duels. Adolin nodded, pretending that was why he'd done it. And that's the end of that chapter. Chapter 15, A Hand with the Tower. And this has Shallan's symbol on it. Work form, worn for strength and care. Whispering spren, breathe at your ear. Seek first this form, its mysteries to bear. Found here is freedom from fear. From the Listener Song of Listing, 19th stanza. Shallan comments about Tavlakiv wearing different shoes than on the first day they met, but Tavlakiv lies and says he only owns one pair. She thinks he doesn't want to give her footwear because then she could walk and be less dependent on him. Shallan asks Pattern to spy on a conversation between Tavlakiv and Tag, and Pattern records and replays the chat for Shallan in secret. She could be someone important, Tavlakiv's voice said abruptly nearby. Shallan jumped, then looked to the side where Pattern now rested on the seat beside her. The voice came from there. She is troubled, Tag's voice said. Pattern's vibrations produced a perfect imitation. I still think we should just leave her and go. It is fortunate for us, Tavlakiv's voice said, that the decision is not yours. You worry about making dinner, I shall worry about our little light-eyed companion. Someone is missing her, someone rich. If we can sell her back to them, Tag, it, would be what, it, would be what, it could be what finally digs us out. The precise reproduction of the conversation was marvelous. This, Shalon thought, could be very useful. Shalon uses this information to keep Tavlakiv off balance and to gain the upper hand in their dealings, warning the traitor not to play games after Tavlakiv expresses doubt over Shalon's story about her betrothal and pending wealth. You have no idea the storm you have wandered into, Shalon hissed, holding his eyes. You have no idea what stakes have been wagered upon my arrival. Take your petty schemes and stuff them in a crevice. Do as I say and I will see your debts cancelled. You will be a free man again. As she gets up to leave, Tavlakiv flinches away from her and she notices that she is glowing faintly with stormlight and has a majestic appearance, which she hopes that Tavlakiv misinterprets as a trick of the darkness and campfire light. She returns to her wagon and notices that the pain in her infected feet has lessened. Luther turns to the camp in a panic, putting out their campfire. 
Bluth tells them that he spotted a likely caravan of army deserters who may have turned to banditry nearby. They quickly pack up the wagons and travel east to try to escape notice. Shalon nodded. What can we do if they catch us? It won't be good. Couldn't we bribe our way past them? Deserters ain't like common bandits, Bluth said. These men, they've given up everything. Oaths, families. When you desert, it breaks you. It leaves you willing to do anything, because you've already given away everything you could have cared about losing. Wow, Shalon said. I... yeah. You spend your whole life with a decision like that, you do. You wish any honor were left for you, but no, you've already given it away. He fell silent, and Shalon was too nervous to prod him further. She continued watching those lights on the hillside as the wagons, blessedly, rolled farther and farther into the night, eventually escaping into the darkness. And that's the end of that chapter. Chapter 16, Swordmaster, and this has Kaladin's symbol. Nimble form has a delicate touch. Gave the gods this form to many, though once defied by the gods they were crushed. This form craves precision and plenty. From the listener, songs of li- from the listener song of listing, 27th stanza. Kaladin leads a bodyguard patrol along with Moash and Drehi through the Light Eyes training ground as they scout the area while waiting for Adolin and Renarin. It's a large open courtyard filled with sand, surrounded by a wooden walkway and a narrow building. It had been seven days since Amaram's arrival in the war camps, seven days of dealing with the fact that Amaram and Dalinar were friends. He decided to be storming happy about Amaram's arrival. After all, it meant that Kaladin would be able to find a chance to finally stick a spear in that man. No, he thought entering the training grounds. Not a spear. A knife. I want to be up close to him, face to face, so I can watch him panic as he dies. I want to feel that knife going in. Kaladin converses with an ardent who explains the Alethi tradition of allowing light eyes to train with royal shard blades so they were ready if needed in battle. Drehi, Kaladin said, pointing. See those rock buds growing up on the top of the wall there? Yep. They're cultivated. That means there's a way up. Of course there is, the lead ardent said. The stairwell is at the northwestern corner. I have the key. Good. You can let him in, Kaladin said. Drehi, keep an eye on things from up there. On it, Drehi said. What kind of dangers do you expect do you expect them to be in in here? The Ardent said, folding her arms. I see lots of weapons, Kaladin said. Lots of people moving in and out. And are those shard blades I see? I wonder what could possibly go wrong. Kaladin gives Moash his instructions. Fine, but tell me something, Cal. Who is this Amaram fellow? Kaladin, Kaladin turned sharply toward Moash. I see how you look at him, Moash said. I see how your face gets when the other bridgemen mention him. What did he do to you? I was in his army, Kaladin said. That, fu- that last, the last place I fought, before. Moash gestured to Kaladin's forehead. That's his work, then. Yeah. So he's not the hero people say he is, Moash said. He sounded pleased by that fact. His soul is as dark as any I've ever known. Moash took Kaladin by the arm. We are going to get back at them somehow. Sadius, Amaram, the ones who have done those, these things to us. Anger spread boiled up around him, like pools of blood in the sand. Kaladin met Moash's eyes, then nodded. Good enough for me, Moash said, shouldering his spear and jogging off toward the position Kaladin had indicated, the spren vanishing. Sil says that Moash needs to smile more, too. Sil asks Kaladin to tell her what is troubling him. You'd be prettier if you smiled. (laughs) Kaladin says that Dalinar is tainted by his association with Amaram. After Sil warns Kaladin not to lie, he admits that he thinks Dalinar is honorable and has been deceived by Amaram. Sil advises Kaladin to tell Dalinar how Amaram really got his shard blade, but Kaladin demurs, thinking that he would not be believed. On the arrival of Renarin and Adolin, Kaladin reports to them that the area is relatively secure. Bridgman, Adolin called. You've decided to start using proper titles for people. Didn't you call my father, sir? 
He's in my chain of command, Kaladin said, turning back. The simple answer seemed the best. And I'm not, Adolin asked, frowning. No. And if I give you an order? I'll comply with any reasonable request, Bright Lord. But if you wish for someone to fetch you tea between bouts, you'll have to send for someone else. There should be plenty here willing to lick your heels. I owe you my life, Adolin growled, as if hurt to say the words. That's the only reason I haven't yet thrown you through a window. He reached up with a gauntleted finger and tapped it at Kaladin's chest. Though my patience with you won't extend as far as my father's, the little bridgeman. There's something off about you, something I can't put my finger on. I'm watching you. Remember your place. Great. I'll keep you alive, Bright Lord Kaladin said, pushing aside the finger. That's my place. I can keep myself alive, Adolin said. Your job is to watch over my brother. Kaladin was more than happy to let him leave. Spoiled child, he muttered. He's older than you, Kaladin. He is. I think Kaladin actually uh, thinks about that, but I cut it out for time. But <laughs> Kaladin is like, he is older, older than me. Renara is just standing awkwardly by the entrance, holding his new blade that he's still bonding. I don't like them, Syl said. Either one, Adolin or Renarin. You don't like anyone who carries shards. Exactly. You called the blades abominations before, Kaladin said. But the Radiants carried them. So were the Radiants wrong to do so? Of course not, she said. The shards weren't abominations back then. What changed? The knights. The knights, Syl said, growing quiet. The knights changed. So it's not that the weapons are abominations specifically, Kaladin said. It's that the wrong people are carrying them. There are no right people anymore, Syl whispered. Maybe there never were. And where did they come from in the first place, Kaladin asked. Shard blades, shard plate. Even modern fabrials are nowhere near as good. So where did the ancients get weapons so amazing? Syl fell silent. She had a frustrating habit of doing that when his questions got too specific. Well, he prompted. I wish I could tell you. Then do. I wish it worked that way. It doesn't. Kaladin surveys the area and sees someone who appears to be suspicious and goes to investigate. As Kaladin got close, his foot audibly scraped the sand. The man spun immediately and Kaladin leveled his spear by instinct. He could see the man's eyes now. They were brown. But Kaladin had trouble placing his age. Those eyes seemed old somehow. But the man's skin didn't seem wrinkled enough to match them. He could have been 35, or he could have been 70. Too young, Kaladin thought, though he couldn't say why. Kaladin lowered his spear. Sorry, I'm a little jumpy. First few weeks on the job. He tried to say it disarmingly. Who are you? He asked, stepping up beside the man. I'm new, as I said. I'm trying to learn everyone's names. You're the Bridgman, the one who saved the High Prince. I am, Kaladin said. You don't need to keep prying, the man said. I'm not going to hurt your damnation, Prince. He had a low voice, grinding, scratchy. Strange accent, too. He's not my prince, Kaladin said, just my responsibility. He looked the man over again, noticing something. The light clothing, tied with ropes, was very similar to what some of the Ardents were wearing. The full head of hair had thrown Kaladin off. You're a soldier, Kaladin guessed. Ex-soldier, I mean. Yeah, the man said. They call me Zahel. Zahel says the two Kulins need to be chosen by a master, and as he speaks, he is summoned by Adolin to join the other gathered Ardents. Huh, Kaladin said. Did he seem odd to you? You all seem odd to me, Syl said lightly. Everyone but Rock, who is a complete gentleman. He thinks you're a god. You shouldn't encourage him. Why not? I am a god. He turned his head, looking at her flatly as she sat on his so shoulder. Syl. What? I am. She grinned and held up her fingers as if pinching something very small. A little piece of one. Very, very little. You have permission to bow to me now. Kind of hard to do when you're sitting on my shoulder, he mumbled. He noticed Lopin and Shen arrive at the gate likely bearing the daily reports from Teft. Come on, let's see if Teft has anything he needs from me. Then we'll do a circuit and check on Drehi and Moash. And that's the end of that chapter. Zahel. Fun man.
the 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 book will never outright say it. You, but the way that he speaks will eventually clue you in as to what's going on. You want me to just tell you? Yeah. It's Vasher. What? It's Vasher. That's why I had us read Warbreaker. Well, more than just that, but that was one of the reasons I had us read Warbreaker. What? That's Vasher. That's Vasher. Why? That's Vasher. Why is he here? That's Vasher. But why? <laughs> I don't know, but that's Vasher. Are you telling me that we're almost to book five and you don't know why he's here? I'm not saying that, but... I. Remember, there's still a, another Warbreaker sequel that he wants to write. And Sanderson is hesitant to get too much into Vasher in this because he doesn't want it to become more than what it is. Like, he wants to keep the focus on the Stormlight story. So he's like, I will tell you guys eventually, but I don't want that to overtake what is happening in Stormlight. Like, he doesn't want Vasher to become the focus. Why is but there is returned here? Why is there a return here? Why is Vasher here? What's he doing? How did he get here? How did he get here? How Good does questions. anyone get from planet to planet? Ah, you will find out. That that I know. But that's Vasher. Okay. <laughs> I, I recognize the description, but I was like, yeah. I can't remember if that was the description of Wit or if that... I knew it wasn't Wit or... Yeah. He would have said it'll wit. get a lot more clear as as he talks more. He'll why? like use the wrong phrases and stuff. But, but why? I believe Zahel was in Stormlight before Warbreaker was. Warbreaker was partly written as an origin story for Zahel. So he's just going by a different name. Yeah, yeah, they'll do that a lot. Uh, World Hoppers. Um, but him going by a different name could be a clue as to, um, I do know some, I do know some details about why he's here. I, I don't know the full story, but I know some things. Is he trying to avoid being f followed by someone? Or? That would be one reason to change your name, but who would be chasing him? Is he one of the ones that doesn't like Hoyd? Cause that would make sense. Uh, we will find out. We will find out how he feels about Hoyd. Or maybe it's, um, Dragon. Fucker. <laughs> Frost. <laughs> not not the dragon fucker, but the dragon. Yeah, yeah. Motherfucker. Who, who is a fucker? Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. That's that's Vasher. That's why we read. That's part of why we read Warbreaker. That's not the entire reason. There's gonna be more. Anyways, chapter seventeen, our last chapter. It's titled a pattern. It has Shalon symbol. The epigraph reads, Dull form dread with the mind most lost, the lowest and one not bright. To find this form would need banish the cost. It finds you and brings you to blight. From the listener's song of listing, final stanza. Shalon sits next to Bluth, who is guiding their wagon, and distracts herself from worry by talking about plants that she found. She also draws some sketches of a leaf, the Santhid, and Bluth in one of Yasna's old notebooks to try to recreate her lost sketch collection. The caravan stops, and Shalon sees smoke on the horizon, which indicates that the deserters are following them and not worried about being seen. Tavlakiv says the deserters will give up the chase eventually, as long as they keep moving with few stops. To distract herself further, Shalon chats with the two parchmen, but they are unforthcoming. Shalon, Shalon sketches more plants, then notices a column of smoke along their current path. Tavlakiv says that indicates another caravan if they are lucky. They discuss whether to go toward the new group or take a detour east while hoping the deserters run into the second group. Shalon orders Tavlakif to try to intercept the new group, and he complies. 
As she ride al- rides along, she draws more sketches, including various sketches of women with Shallan's face. She then moves into the covered wagon to use knobweed sap on her feet and notices they have healed significantly. She asks Pattern if he had healed her, but it seems ignorant of how to cause or heal injuries to humans. I made myself glow last night by the fire with Tavlakiv. Yes. Do you know why? Lies. My dress changed. I wear the scuffs and rips were- I swear the scuffs and rips were gone last night. They've returned now, though. Hmm. Yes. I have to be able to control this thing we can do. Yasna called it light weaving. She implied it was far safer to practice than soul casting. The book? I never got a chance to actually read that book. We'll need to see if we can find another copy once we reach the Shattered Plains. The Knights Radiant formed a bond with Spren, Shalon said, more to herself than to Pattern. It was a symbiotic relationship, like a little Kremlin who lives in the shale bark. The Kremlin cleans off the lichen, getting food, but also keeps the shale bark clean. Pattern buzzed in confusion. Am I the shale bark or the Kremlin? Either, Shalon said. The surges, the forces that run the world, are more pliable to Spren. Or, well, since Spren are pieces of those surges, maybe it's that the Spren are better at influencing one another. Our bond gives me the ability to manipulate one of the surges. In this case, light, the power of illumination. Lies, Pattern whispered, and truths. Shalon asks how to use Stormlight, but Pattern doesn't know, so she figures it out on her own and breathes it in. Though it is, though she is unable to make it do anything. She notices that her wounds heal noticeably, however. Pattern buzzed. What does that mean? Shalon asked. That when you buzz like that, what are you feeling? Hmm. Excited. Yes, it has been so long since anyone has learned of you and your kind. You came to learn? Wait, you're a scholar? Of course. Hmm. Why else would I come? I will learn so much before... He stopped abruptly. Pattern? She asked. Before what? A figure of speech? He said it perfectly flatly, absent of tone. You're lying, she accused of him, glancing at his pattern on the wall. He had shrunk. Yes, he said reluctantly. You're a terrible liar, Shalon said, surprised at the realization. Yes, but you love lies. So fascinating, he said. You are all so fascinating. Tell me what you were going to say, Shalon ordered, before you stopped yourself. I'll know if you lie. Hmm, you sound like her, more and more like her. Tell me. He buzzed with an annoyed sound, quick and high-pitched. I will learn what I can of you before you kill me. You think, you think I'm going to kill you? It happened to the others, Pattern said, his voice softer now. It will happen to me. It is a pattern. This has to do with the Knights Radiant. Yes, the Knights killed their Spren. How? Why? Their oaths. It is all I know. My kind, those who were unbonded. We retreated, and many kept our minds. Even still, it is hard to think apart from my kind, unless... Unless... Unless we have a person. So that's what you get out of it. Symbiosis. I get access to surge binding. You get thought. Sapiens, Pattern said. Thought, life. These are of humans. We are ideas. Ideas that wish to live. I'm not going to kill you, she said firmly. I won't do it. I don't suppose the others intended to either, he said. But it is of no matter. It is an important matter, Shalon said. I won't do it. I'm not, the, I'm not one of the Knights Radiant. Yasna's made that clear. A man who can use a sword isn't necessarily a soldier. Just because I can do what I do doesn't make me one of them. You spoke oaths. Shalon froze. Life before death. The words drifted toward her from the shadows of her past, a past she would not think of. You live lies, Pattern said. It gives you strength. But the truth, without speaking truths, you will not be able to grow, Shalon. I know this somehow. 
She leaves the wagon and notices a lot of smoke ahead, and realizes that it is from burning wagons. And that is where we will we'll leave off for this week. The knights killed their spren, somehow. Was it so that they could stop being Knights Radiant? Hmm. What happened with the Recreants? But they speak the oaths, so they have to be the Radiants. In order to break their oaths, they have to kill the Spren they made the oaths to. Well, I, I, I will point out that Pattern says that he doesn't think the Knights intended to kill their Spren. Well, then why would they do it? Oh, wait, maybe by breaking the oaths that killed the spread not the other way around he makes it sound like the spread being killed is an after effect of something else mm. it's like a byproduct because of this this happened wait okay so in the um listeners chapter mm -hmm. they mentioned that humans were able to capture spread inside of the the um crystal fabrioles uh, well, the the gemstones, yes. Yeah, That's the gemstones. How they do yeah. And in the at the end of the shard blades, there are crystals. Yes. If a person who bonds with a spren also bonds with the blade and the crystal in the blade, and you rip the crystal out and crush it, would that kill a spren? Like in order to unbond with. The, the blade. Like Syl, I can also tell you nothing about shard blades. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like Syl can't tell anything to Kaladin, I also cannot tell you anything about shard <laughs> blades. Or, or uh, the spread in their oaths. But what I can tell you is that Pattern says that the spread all died. Um, or at least the spread that were bonded died. And that the ones that weren't bonded retreated. And they, they made a, like, a distinct mention of bonding with the swords in that last chapter. Yes, Adolin says that you bond swords um, through gemstones. Hmm. Is all Stormlight, like, captured Spren, or is that just, like, There's a difference. A um, I, I, think, I think there's a chapter coming up where they're going to get a little bit more into how Fabrioles work, and they will eventually get into how Fabrioles work. Uh, I, uh, eventually, we're going to get a whole book that has a whole lot about how Fabrioles work that I'm probably going to skip over What's a lot a Fabriol? of. Um, it's the devices they use. Um, the span read is a fabrial. Um, the heating fabrials that generate heat. Um, oh, wait, is that the whole reason those things are able to work? Because they captured a spren to power it? Capturing spren is indeed involved in creating a fabrial. And we will Aww. talk more about... They will definitely uh, go more into that. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. that's, that's that sucks. Yeah. I don't blame the Spren for not wanting to do having anything to do with humans. Wow. Okay. That sucks. Yeah, yeah. But the listeners also were saying that like they used to change forms by asking the Spren and now they force it by putting them into gemstones. So Stormlight can go into gemstones without a Spren being present. It's just attracted to gemstones during a storm. And yeah. all the gemstones are going to be charged with stormlight no matter what. Does capturing spren have to be intentional? Uh, we will definitely talk about how spren are captured. You'll you'll learn that. Um, they they the they talk about as well how gemstones on the on the stormlight front, the way a gemstone is cut will indicate how much it can hold. Um, I think more like nicer uh 
because stormlight will leak out otherwise um mm -hmm. so a more perfectly cut gemstone can hold more stormlight if it's bigger and can also hold it for longer whereas a more jagged a more rough gemstone will um will leak it faster it won't hold it for as long is it maybe because of the reflective surfaces on the gemstone i actually couldn't tell you why that because that makes sense like if it has to do with light then the number of reflective surfaces would i mean theoretically help keep the light in the gem for longer so it'd be able to retain more because the all of the reflective surfaces would act as like a mirror it's like it's like when you're trying to keep heat when you're like storing food so you wrap the food yeah. in foil to keep all yeah. the heat in it's like that yeah Except instead of reflecting the light that's coming from outside, it's reflecting light back inside to keep it in. Mm -hmm. That would make sense. Uh, there is uh, There are enough people that talk about the science in these books with enough confidence and in enough depth that I trust that it makes sense. But I am not smart enough to understand a lot of the science in these books. You might be right. I can't confirm or deny it because I don't know. And I was never smart enough to even consider that as a possibility. Mm. So... Um, it makes sense to me how you explain it, but, uh, I, I'm not sure. Mm. Yes. Uh, next week, uh, for sure we're going to get more, um, Zahel. So that's exciting. I actually, I, I, the next chapter is the one where you for sure would have been like, yeah, this dude is weird. I unfortunately was not able to cut enough out of this week to fit it into this week. I tried. Where can people find you, Sean? Yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore AFK. You guys, like I said, this podcast on Twitter at Speak Stormlight. You guys can email us at speakthewordsasp at gmail.com. Um, our cover was made by our good friend Alex out at Alex underscore B-E-E-G-B-O-I on Twitter. He, wanted, he changed uh, the spelling. <laughs> yeah, it's Big Boy. Um, Not Alex Big. Wanted it's Big. Yeah, I had a conversation with Alex and he said that uh, he was cool with me putting the 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 Twitter link in there. So it will also be in the episode description if you're curious, but that's at Alex underscore B-E-E-G-B-O-I. Um, yeah, next week we're going to get more as a hell and a lot of other stuff is going to happen. I think part two is a very exciting part that we're going to get into a lot of stuff and then we're going to slow way the fuck down for a while. Mm. Um, but yes, until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. <laughs>